0: Hi, everyone. Welcome back. Happy Tuesday if you're listening to this, Wednesday if you're listening to the Wednesday. I don't even know what
1: day it is, so I don't even know
0: why you did that. I just, I, I was know, like, what is it Tuesday? Tuesday? I, oh, I Lord. Think I look at my calendar nowadays like five times a day to just remember
1: what day it is.
0: I never know anymore. Yeah, I know.
1: <laughs> well, this routine kind of keeps us a little bit sane. Thankfully, we've been able to, I think maybe even more so get guests on, which has been amazing. We've gotten a lot of amazing people. And we're really excited today because we have Dr. David Hill. And he actually has a book that's out that really resonated with us. I used to do family law a long, long time ago. And co-parenting was almost not existent existent. People are very hurt. And especially when you have a child or multiple children that have some sort of unique need, it's compounded, you know, even more. So Dr. David, thank you so much for coming on. Why don't you tell our guests a little bit about yourself?
2: Thank you guys so much for having me. I really appreciate it. I am a practicing pediatrician. I've been, uh, been that for about 22 years now. Currently, I work as a hospital pediatrician in a very small place, Goldsboro, North Carolina, Wayne County. I also help out in clinic. There are still some. I'm also a dad, and I have a blended family with uh, three kids and two bonus children. As my co-author, Jan. She came up with that. I love this I, because I my... I love that, yeah. I know, Right. My cousin was recently writing about how much she loves her bonus child. And I was like, hey, hey, my co-author came up with that. I know the person who came up. You're using our word. Thank you. But they're great. And we work very, very closely with my co-parent, my ex-wife. We have weekly face-to-face meetings and then a lot of chats as well on the side. So that's been part of my life for a long time. I actually wrote my first book for the American Academy of Pediatrics back in 2012 called Dad to Dad, Parenting Like a pro. And I wrote that when I was kind of deep into being a newly single parent. I had also been a stay-at-home dad before that. So I was really feeling the stay-at-home dad thing. And then I was working on creating this new blended family. And I was just recognizing that there's not that much out there directed just to dads, but there are increasingly dads who are taking a very large role in childcare. And so my thought was to just sort of have this conversation and provide some resources. And then a few years ago, the Academy came back and said, you know, given your experience with divorce and remarriage, would you be interested in co-authoring a book for parents who might be going through separation and divorce. And they paired me with a fantastic co-author, also from the legal field. She is a PsyD, but she's worked for 20 years in the California court system as a mediator. And Jan Blackstone's whole job, she has also been through a divorce and remarriage herself, is to help parents sit down and figure out how they are going to get these kids taken care of. How can they agree? How can they meet their children's needs? And so we really felt strongly that combining our experience and our perspectives, we had a real opportunity to speak to parents and help them sort out, okay, this relationship didn't last, it didn't work for one or both of us, but now there are children and they are incredibly important and we love them and we want them to do well. And so how do you do it?
0: Yeah. Well, and it's important to remember that there still is a relationship as co-parents, whether or not you have a relationship romantically with each other. And I think we see more often than not, there's no relationship and how that impacts the parenting is important to consider, but also how that impacts the kids in general. You know, I came a family of divorce and my parents did not have really a relationship and i know how that impacted me and how you know i want to raise my kids and how you know no matter what happens but i think it's important to think about how it affects them not just how they're parented but how the long-term affects. It's so much, so. How
2: to... and i'm really glad that you said long-term there amanda because that's key one thing and vicky you could probably relate to this from family law but jan said you know people would come into her office and they go like oh I just cannot wait until these kids turn 18, and I don't have to co-parent anymore. And the first thing she'd say is, do you think your child is never going to have children of their own? Do you think they're never going to be in a long-term relationship? Nothing important is going to happen in their lives? Look across the room. You are looking at granddad or right. grandmother. Right. This does not end when you are 18. We actually have been around long enough that our youngest child is 15 and uh, the next one up is 18, and then it's twenty, twenty, and 21. Oh, no, oh, my God, it's birthday season. Sorry, 22 now. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) You know, we're seeing that. Those relationships, my wife is on the phone frequently with her ex-husband because they've got kids in college, and they have things to talk about, whether it's going to be... You know, Alex wants a new guitar for his birthday. You get the guitar, I get the amp. Mm-hmm. Or, yeah. you know, tuition is due. And we have all sorts of questions with my co-parent. You know, we've got COVID going on right now. So we need to talk. You know, if Julian, the 15-year-old, wants to go over to a friend's house, but they have to stay outside. Right? Can uh, they go inside? Can right. they have a sleepover? Can they ride in a car together? And, you know, this is just going on and on. The fact that they're getting bigger does not mean that parenting is over, conversations are over, working together is over. And if you think your kids might get married someday, do you want to be able to be in the same room?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's the example for a child, it's their first example of a relationship. And whether it works out or not is not the point. It's the communication aspect. And it's a, you know, just trying to make something work because that is just the situation that you're in. And we get this all the time with our kiddos that are trying to do work training or something like that. The world is not a special education classroom. And, you know, if you have a coworker that you're not getting along with, you can't just run to the teacher, right? You have to learn how to do water cooler talk or, you know, and to a certain extent, right? And so for us, that's what's really key with some of the families that we work work with that are separated or divorced you know we appreciate when both are involved because then nothing is hidden right nobody's you know right. doing things that they're not
0: supposed to do and things like that well you talk about the long-term effects you know you just mentioned the you know if you get married or you have kids i mean i'm dealing with that right now with expecting my first child and how that's going to work with both sets of grandparents but you also think with a child with special needs, you know, we've talked in this podcast before about conservatorship, special needs trust. There's so much more that impacts a child's life after 18 when we're considering special needs. We might be talking oh, yeah. about long-term care For the rest of their lives, so it absolutely absolutely doesn't end at eighteen.
2: You know, we have good friends Ben and Amy Wright, who are the founders of Biddy and Bo's Coffee Shop, and they're fairly well known in the special needs community because they're advocating for you know lifetime employment, and of course, they are special needs parents as well. And they have always talked about you know the lifetime piece, and that's important. You know, there's estate planning. There is transition to independent living. How's that going to work? Mm-hmm. One thing that we really emphasize, I think when you're in the middle of the battle, when you're in the middle of this fight with this person, whether the legal piece is over or what, there, it's easy to like keep score and be like, I win. You know, the child is with me four days a week and with you three days a week, ha, you know, I win. I yeah. found out something you didn't. And this happens to me as a pediatrician. I will have a parent come in and I'll say, so when did the fever start? And they go, well, I don't know. I just picked him up from dad. And I'm like, okay, time out. Right. Either dad was not paying attention to the fever, which is unfortunate. We need to do something about that. Or the two of you could not have enough of a conversation for somebody to say, hey, he felt a little bit warm yesterday. I gave him a Tylenol and he hasn't been eating very well. And, you know, you don't win by withholding information or resources from another parent. All you do is punish a child. And so especially, I think, when we're thinking about children with special needs, the question is not, do I win? The question is, where are the resources? Where's right. the school that can best serve this child, whose house has the best adaptive capabilities, who is closest to the resources the child needs? And we're going to work together and figure out with an eye on our child's needs, how are we going to serve that person? You know, Because Absolutely. in the middle of all that, you don't win, you don't lose. Your goal <laughs> as a parent is for your child to win. Absolutely. So how do I help that person win?
1: Absolutely. Do you tend to see a spike in diagnoses, you know, similar, you know, maybe like ADHD when parents separate? Is that something that you see? Are there
0: like trigger points sometimes? You know,
2: more so the separation and stress makes it really hard for kids to behave mm. and really hard for kids to learn. It is an enormous distractor, having your life turned upside down, dealing with stress on the part of both parents. And what happens is kids will present with one parent or both, and they'll say, hey, you know, she's not doing well in school. The teacher is worried. Things are going downhill. And if you're in a rush, it's easy to say, okay, fill out this form. Look, the scores abnormal. Here is your stimulant medication. And come back in a week, and we'll see how you're doing, right? Right. It takes a minute. But it is a really critical minute to say so tell me what's happening at home what else is going on how are you guys doing how are you getting along has anybody lost a job gained a job moved moved in moved out is there any violence in the household and so i would urge parents if you're having a child evaluated for a learning problem or a behavior problem you really want to volunteer all that and if the person doing the evaluation is not asking about the rest of what's happening in life. Find somebody else, really, because that is an enormous part of figuring out what's going on. If your child is not sleeping, that has an enormous impact Absolutely. on behavior and school performance. You've got to know all of that. You can't just be like, here's your prescription, get out of my office you have to know everything else that's happening in life. And only when you've addressed anxiety, depression, stress, sleep, can you come back and say, you know what, I think you may have an underlying learning disability or ADHD or mild autistic spectrum disorder. But I got to know the whole picture. And if I don't, then I haven't really done the job.
1: Yeah, I mean, oftentimes we have parents that were like, oh, we didn't really know, like our pediatrician kind of referred us to this person and then the regional center became involved and then this, you know, and which is great, you know, that we have that, that they're at the front line. But sometimes some of these kiddos, you know, you're not really seeing the academic impact until, you know, they're having trouble reading. And oftentimes when they're smaller, teachers will say they'll grow out of it, no need to worry. And and that's kind of, you know, I don't think we can be saying that now. (laughs) I'm sure they got away with it for quite some time. But as Amanda always points out, you know, a second grader is not just gonna fail his class you know or do that poorly unless there's something else going on whether that be temporary and it is anxiety induced by a separation or a death in the family or it can just be the frustration that the child feels because they are unable to keep up but I think oftentimes parents you know especially once your kid starts walking and talking you kind of expect them to be a little adult and that's not possible
0: you know they're still learning. Report everything that they're feeling right. or yeah. seeing or doing. Mm-hmm. They don't even know how to explain. I think half mm-hmm. the time how they're feeling. Yeah.
1: That is
2: a huge part of teaching emotional intelligence to children. Is just Absolutely. putting a name. And I will say, emotional intelligence for an adult. When my first marriage was in trouble, we sought counseling. And one of the things the therapist asked me that seemed like a very simple question. He was like, How do you feel? And I just blinked at him. You know, I was like, I, he's like, (laughs) Well, how do you know how you feel? And like, I'm a competent adult with a postgraduate education, right? Absolutely, yeah. And he's like, Well, look at your hands right now. It looks kind of like you're making fists and, you know, it looks like you're breathing a little fast. Could we say that maybe you're anxious? I'm like, Oh, yeah, right? So if I, in my 40s, with many years of education,
0: absolutely,
2: have a difficult time saying, how do I feel and how do I know how I feel? Imagine a three-year-old oh
1: my gosh. or yeah. a
2: five-year-old. You have to like, and this is the first thing you do, uh, no matter what the issue is, when you see your child getting upset, you can name it. You just say, hey. It looks to me like you're angry. I mean, often we can sort of... Our kids don't just explode into fits all of a sudden most of the time, right? Mm -hmm. There's some warning signs. Mm -hmm. They say, hey, hey, looks like you're getting angry. Tell me what you're getting angry about. Mm -hmm. What is that? Because what I see on your face tells me that you're getting upset. Is this something we can do something about? And just name it. Mm -hmm. Now, the flip side of that, and this is really important in separation and divorce, is we get totally absorbed in our own feelings. And there's this person in our house... That we want to share that with, right? You're like, oh, look, especially when you have teenagers or older children, as we do, you're tempted to see them as a friend and a confidant. And like, oh, my gosh, you will not believe what your dad did or what your mother did. That is so like them. Mm. And uh, just don't. That's what you have friends for. That's what you have therapists for. Your kid's already going through enough. They're not there to counsel you. They're not there to give you a hug when you feel bad. That's your job as a parent. Don't put that on your kid. And the other thing to know about kids is they fully understand that they're a mix of both parents. So it's great if you can find any way in the world to praise your co-parent for anything Take that opportunity. You know, I love this picture that you just made. Your mom is really artistic. I bet you get that from her. All the time. I love the way you smile. Your dad smiles like that. That is so Mm -hmm. cool. He really enjoys music like you do, right? You don't want to flip that. They They know that they're both.
0: Right. On one hand, they hear from maybe a grandparent, oh, you're so much like your dad. And then the mom says, oh, I can't believe your dad. Of course they're going to start thinking, well, that there's something wrong I'm mean-
1: mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: yeah.
2: And you don't want to hit the other side of, oh my gosh, you're late again. Your dad is always late for everything. That makes me crazy. Don't be like your dad that way, right? It's so tempting. It is a natural part of being human, but forgo- just don't do that. Let your well, kid and then I your
0: think team. we also see the opposite, too, where a lot of times families, whether there was a lot of fighting before the separation or not... Families, some parents don't want their kids to see the fighting, the anger, the being upset. So they isolate themselves to cry or be angry. So their kid never sees them get emotional. (laughs) And they never see the description of, you know what? I think kids need to see, I'm angry right now or I'm upset. Because if we hide it, then the kids are going to learn, oh, well, I should just bottle it in. I shouldn't
2: And then you can take that because you're not going to be able to hide all your emotions from your children. And the key is when they see them, what are you going to do with it? Are you going to say, I am angry right now because that cheating so-and-so ran our checking account down to zero buying jewelry for that other person? No. The answer is you can tell I'm really mad right now, right? What do we do when we're mad? What do you think I could do right now that would help? Would it help me to punch a pillow? Should we go outside <laughs> and just yell because I'm really angry right now? Let's try that. That's what I think I'm going to do. Or I'm really sad. And you know what helps me when I'm sad? I like to pet the cat. Where's the cat? Can you bring the cat over here? I would just love to pet our cat. That helps me when I'm sad. And Mm -hmm. so you can model. We're always doing that. But you can model for your child naming that emotion and coping with that emotion. Let's go for a walk. Mm -hmm. I'm really upset right now. Mm -hmm. I'm worried. Everything is going to be okay. I promise we're going to figure this out. But when I'm worried, it really helps me to take a walk.
0: And that explanation, I think, helps link the emotional intelligence because I think a lot of times people might think, oh, well, I do this thing to cope. My kid's going to see it. They're going to start to do it. But then they're going to start to do it, use a coping strategy, but no, have no idea why they do it. And right. it might be a vice that is not good for them, say, drinking, right? They yes. see their parent. They get upset. They drink. So when the kid gets older, what do they do? They go, oh, I'm upset. I'm going to go have a drink. But maybe – that's not always the right, and they don't understand there might be a difference between when I use this coping mechanism and when i don't it's not necessarily always bad to go have a drink when you're you know celebrating or upset or something, but it may not it needs to have that explanation of this is right. why I'm feeling this way. I'm going to use this strategy, this coping mechanism because of this
2: exactly. you really want to remember that you got those eyes and ears there and that our kids look up to us. Even if we don't feel like they should, they do. They're gonna model on us. And if you're like, I had a horrible day, I need a drink now. Yeah, expect to hear that later. When you find your 16 year old with a bottle under the bed, and at right. some point you will like, I just, I'm dead. I had a bad day. A bad day. <laughs> That's yeah. what you do. Right. Right. And so, especially when you're in a period of stress and Lord knows so many of us are right now, you know, with being worried about our health, worried about our finances, worried about justice and inclusion and racism. There are a lot of causes for stress out there right now. And it's a great time to model positive behaviors because yeah. your kid's going to copy that. And it's a good exercise for you. And, and then you can talk to your kid and say, what do you like to do
1: right. when you
2: feel bad? Could we draw? Could we play music? I've got mm-hmm. my 15-year-old teaching himself guitar. And some days, yes, bad days. He's 15, right?
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. And
2: I'm like, well, what are you going to do today? It's like, well, I guess I'll, I'll bike and then maybe play some guitar. I'm like, I love that. That's great, you know?
1: Absolutely. And I mean, yes, right now is just such a difficult time. And so many different families are going through different... Just situations with, you know, a lot of parents will have a 2-4 schedule or week on, week uh-huh. off, and that's had to change. And I, and I think it sounds like communication, obviously, is key because once those lawyers go away, uh, one, you don't even want the lawyers there for longer than they need to be there. <laughs> right. And once the judge, you know, is away, and, and that's what I would see is, is obviously the conflict. And, and you don't want a judge making decisions about visitations, about holidays about, you know, homework, drop off, you know, all of that. But a majority of the people just could not see eye to eye. And then it's yep. left to this stranger who's just reading this versus reading that. And I think that if, you know, you needed that person, you know, to be married and you still need them to yep. get through the divorce. <laughs> Absolutely.
2: <laughs> you know? There's yeah. only you and the other parent know what it's like to parent this child.
1: Yeah. Right.
2: And you may come from very different perspectives and you may have some really strong disagreement Agreements, but ultimately, the two of you know that child better than anyone else. And to any extent that you can tamp it down and work together in a more collaborative proceeding. I mean, there, there used to be no such thing as collaborative divorce. Right. It was all Kramer versus Kramer. Absolutely. And of course, you know, the legal profession walks away with the most money if they can keep you fighting for yep. a long time. Mm-hmm. You fight, they get paid. But nobody wins in that mm-hmm. case. The kid doesn't win. The parents don't win. The more that you can, in some fashion, say, okay, here's what this child needs. We know he needs needs to get to doctor's visits, he needs to get to school, he needs his dog, he needs his friends. How are we going to work together to help those things happen? And how are we going to listen to each other and really hear what the other person is saying? Are you saying I'm really financially stressed right now? Then, okay, what are we going to do about that, right? If you can turn it toward problem solving and away from just, my gosh, I hate your guts. You've hurt me really bad and I never Mm -hmm. want to see you again. Mm -hmm. That may be true, but it doesn't get anything done for the
0: child. Right. If anything, it makes one person want to not work with the other even more. Exactly. At that point. And we see that with schools as well, with school teams and parents that, mm-hmm. you know, we have to get involved. And it's it's like the communication breakdown is the first hurdle that needs to be, you know, jumped over. We can't even get to the root of the conversation that needs to be had until we get to that point because they're not even listening when the other exactly is talking. So you need to be able to find a way to communicate and maybe it needs to be like a system i mean we talk about this with all the time is let's put together a system it's a notebook that goes back and forth and you write maybe talking on the phone you know one thing we always learn <laughs> like talking on the phone you hear attitudes, maybe sometimes, or sarcasm in different ways. But like, if you write things, maybe that's better. Maybe the opposite is true, maybe in a writing, you know, an email. So maybe it needs to be just a different method of communication.
2: Yeah, it's always, if you're in a place where we're speaking or talking face to face, it's going to be too difficult. And that, that is a common situation. Try writing it down and then deleting the first draft. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Your first draft is, and another thing. And let me tell you this, right? But it doesn't really get the job done so you write that draft you feel better and then you're like okay now i don't have to tell you another thing i don't have to re-adjudicate every horrible thing that happened between us now i need to say baseball practice is going to be tuesdays and thursdays and i'm taking a class on tuesdays so can you pick up on tuesday
0: yep that helps too with making sure things get followed through because as we always say you know to the families is you know everyone is human Sometimes I get this question a lot from school. I don't understand. They always forget. They always say they're going to do something and then they don't. And I go, that happens to all of us. It's human nature, right? Why do we have notes on our phone? We used to have sticky notes on our wall, right? We have to remind ourselves of things because we can't physically remember everything. Like Unless you have a photographic memory, you're not going to remember everything. So the same is going to happen if you're in an emotional state verbally talking with someone You may be like, okay, yes, I'm agreeing to that, but are you going to remember it five minutes later because you're in that emotion of, oh, you know, I just, I'm so angry with this person. You're not going to remember Gotta write
2: it down. Uh, that reminds me of another don't, by the way. Do not. Even you've gotta figure out how not to make the child the one who's carrying messages. Yeah. Call your mom and tell her that she needs to pick you up early. No. That's your job. Communicate, text, send a Morse code, I don't know, whatever. (laughs) But you don't make the child make sure mom remembers to pack your football uniform. Now, you need to do that yourself because the child can't be to go between too bad. If you're just too angry to communicate, figure out another way. But you don't want to be like, I told you to tell Mm -hmm. your dad Mm -hmm. to, you know, pack your homework and one of your books is missing. What happened? No, no, no. That's on you. And this is one thing, you know, as an example, We have three kids at the beginning of this. Now a couple of them live on their own. But we had three kids who had to go back and forth between houses. And we figured out after a while that the parent they were going to Mm -hmm. needed to do the pickup because that's the person who'd be thinking, oh, here's what you need for this week. Yeah. And it just became, you know what, here's how we're going to do it. We're not just going to randomly do it. If they're coming to my house, I'll come get them. And then it's like, did you remember your lunchbox? Mm -hmm. Do you remember your thermos? Do you have your taekwondo equipment? Mm -hmm. Do you have all your books? Mm -hmm. And then if I drive away without something, that's on me. And I'm not upset with my co-parent because I'm the one who left the driveway without the cleats, Mm -hmm. you know?
1: That's actually a really good tip. Yeah. <laughs> I think that, yeah, oftentimes it's like, okay, we gotta go, you know, or, or this is happening. And I had cases where they would have to, you know, drop off. Like that couldn't even happen. Like they had to drop off in sure. the front of a police station. Because it was uh-huh. just so bad. But, um, but that's great because then both parents are there and it's just like, did she get this? Did she get that? Da 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 da. Okay, if not, I can drop off. And so then, you know, that forced them to be in that situation so they could double check everything. But I think that, and your book, if you don't mind sharing the title again, Dr. David.
2: I would love to. I can't say it enough. <laughs> Good. The title of the book is Co-Parenting Through Separation and Divorce, Putting Your Children First.
1: And we highly recommend this book if you yeah. are in this situation and are going through it. Um, Dr. Hill has been talking and it just it sounds like common sense, but you really don't have common sense when you're in such an elevated emotional or even just a traumatic experience that all of us are in right now. But especially in the middle of a separation or divorce, it's something that's a good reminder to have. And then once you have the book, whether it's electronic or on your table side, you can kind of flip back through it and just kind of remind yourself of some of these things. And we always recommend trying to purchase a book from a Black-owned bookstore. Obviously, you nice. can also find it, I'm sure, anywhere. But um, Dr. Hill, thank you so much for taking the time to to come on our podcast.
2: Uh, thank you so much, Vicki and Amanda. I really appreciate this opportunity to talk. And thank you guys for the work that you're doing for kids, because that's our passion.
1: Oh, thank you so much. I wish you were in California, because Blair, I mean, I love my daughter's pediatrician, but Amanda's looking for one, so. Uh, <laughs> yeah.
2: I know some very, very good people. Oh, yeah. I might need to hit you up to get
0: some recommendations. We're,
2: i got great we're friends out. we
0: away right now,
1: so. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you guys for listening, and we will talk to you next week. Bye! Bye.